With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio podcast. A podcast about a Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I have three parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our Primavera match on Saturday against Sampdoria. In part two, I'll review our Femenile match against Fiorentina on Sunday, and in part 3, I'll preview the opening match of our Europa League group stage against Leicester City. So let's start with the Primavera. Sampdoria finished top of the Primavera Uno table last season, but in the Primavera there is a fase finale or final phase, which is basically a playoffs to determine who the champion is. The top two teams get a bye to the semifinals, and second through fourth play in a mini playoff, which is basically the quarterfinals, to determine who the other two semifinalists are for the final phase. Unfortunately for Sampdoria, they got stuck with Atalanta, who always have one of the best Primavera teams. Atalanta beat Sampdoria 2-1 before losing to Empoli in the finals. Things only got worse for Sampdoria. They opened this season with a 1-0 loss to Spal, who finished 7th in the Primavera Uno last season. So they were looking to take out their frustration on newly promoted Napoli, and boy did they do that. This match finished 6-1 for Sampdoria. An expression I like to use is the scoreline wasn't an accurate reflection of how the match went. That expression could not be any truer than for this match. I'll explain why in a moment, but first let's review the starting lineups. Sampdoria lined up in a 3-5-2 with Matteo Esposito in goal. Giovanni Bonfanti, Luigi Aquino, and Filippo Mane lined up as the back three. Francesco Miligardi played as the left wing back and Marco Soma played as the right wing back. Ardeyan Kilafi started in the center of the midfield with captain Gerard Yepes to his left and Flavio Paoletti to his right. Finally, Luca Poli and Lorenzo Di Stefano started together up top. 
For Napoli, Nicolo Frustalupi lined up in a 3-4-2-1. Chiro Pinto started in goal. That's because Huberi Dasiak was with the senior team filling in the vacancy left by Alex Meret. Idasiak's agent gave an interview to Radio Kiss Kiss earlier this week, and I have to say, I was not impressed with some of the comments he made. First, he said it would be an incredible debut for Idasiak if he played against Leicester City in the Europa League, which we know is not going to happen. I think he was hoping at the time that UEFA would not let Ospina play, but we now know that the players who traveled abroad will still be able to play in Europe. Then he said Idasiak was angry that he didn't get the opportunity to prove himself in the friendly against Benevento at the Maradona. I think he needs to go back and watch the footage because Idasiak did get an opportunity in that match. He came on as a substitute in the 76th minute and he still conceded two goals, even though they were not necessarily his fault. Back to the starting lineups, Davide Costanzo, Benedetto Barba and Jonathan Spedalieri started as the back three. Aziz Toure and Alessandro Spavone started in the center of the midfield. Toure has a pretty incredible story which I read on calciomercato.it. Not to be confused with the more popular calciomercato.com. Toure fled the Ivory Coast and passed through Libya and Niger when he was a child. In June of 2017, he was rescued by the Dichotti, a Coast Guard boat off the coast of Catania. He was heading to France, but instead he stopped in Sicily. He was transferred to a community closer to Balestrate, where he played in the promotion championship and convinced Ternana to bet on him. The lockdown pushed him to stay in Sicily and Palermo took him into their academy. That's where Toure made himself known, including scoring a goal in the Primavera Derby against Catania, and now he finds himself playing for Napoli. Francesco De Marco started on the left wing and Domenico Di Dona started on the right wing. Finally, three veteran Primavera players started in attack. Antonio Vergara and Giuseppe D'Agostino started as the two trequartisti and Giuseppe Ambrosino started at striker. We were still missing some key players in attack. Antonio Cioffi still hasn't played since contracting COVID nearly a month ago. Gennaro Iaccarino left the Bologna match with an injury. Unfortunately, he tore his ACL, which means he will be out for a while. New signing Giovanni Mercurio was suspended for this match, and Daniel Hisai and Davide Acampa were out as well. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match. Like I said, the final score made it seem like this was a blowout, but in reality, the match was actually competitive for about 80 minutes, and then the wheels fell off after that. Sampdoria didn't waste any time opening the scoring in the fourth minute of the match. Pauletti played a ball over the top to pick out Soma's run down the right wing. He somehow squeezed his cross between Costanzo and Spedalieri to find an unmarked Yepes in the area. That was a bit of a theme in this match. Napoli really struggled to pick up the late run. Yepes calmly took his chance, tucking his shot neatly into the bottom corner at the far post. Sampdoria doubled their lead just before the half hour mark. Pauletti crossed the ball into the area from the left wing. Pinto got to the ball first, but he wasn't very convincing with his punch. Di Stefano did just enough to disturb the keeper with his attempt to head the cross, and as a result, the ball fell for Poli in front of the goal. He fired past the center back standing on the goal line to make the score 2 0. Sampdoria nearly added a third just before the break from a corner kick. The ball was cleared out to Kilafi, who was the last man back in the midfield. He played a high lob back into the area. The ball bounced once before Mane volleyed towards the goal. Fortunately, the ball bounced off the top of the bar and stayed out. So even though Sampdoria were clearly the better side, we went into the break down only two goals. Frustalupi made one change at the half, replacing Spedalieri with Musa Mane. He's the other player we purchased from Bari along with Mercurio. 
The opening 20 minutes of the second half was probably our best period of the match. In the 53rd minute, we pulled one back from a corner kick. Ambrosino actually made an excellent run to win the corner kick. Vergara swung the ball into the area and Costanzo rose up to head the ball rather convincingly into the bottom corner. So less than 10 minutes into the second half, we pulled within a goal and that goal gave us a bit of momentum. Then between the 62nd and 73rd minute, Bonfanti picked up two yellow cards, both of which were correct. The first was for pulling D'Agostino down after he completely destroyed Yepes's angles. The second was for a late tackle on Francesco Gioielli only minutes after Gioielli came off the bench. So with 17 minutes left to play, we were down only one goal and we were up a man. Only a few minutes later, we got one of our best chances of the match after a lovely exchange between D'Agostino and another substitute, Marquisano. His cross was blocked, but the ball fell for Vergara, who laid it off to an unmarked Ambrosino in a dangerous area at the top of the box. Unfortunately, his shot finished high and wide. The way the match had gone, I couldn't help but think that we were not going to get another chance like that, and then the wheels completely fell off. Sampdoria scored four goals in the final 10 minutes of the match, starting in the 80th minute. This play started with Costanzo slipping and conceding possession in our end. He recovered well and blocked the shot, but the ball spun towards the corner flag. The ball would have gone out for a corner, but Costanzo was determined to foul Yepes, so Sampdoria were awarded a free kick just in front of the corner flag. Substitute Lorenzo Malagrida took the free kick and Aquino head into the back of the goal. That pretty much put the game away and I don't know if it's because Napoli were demoralized by that third goal but we played really poorly in the final 10 minutes. Meanwhile, Sampdoria substitutes took full advantage of their opportunity to play. In the 86th minute, Malagrida picked up his second assist after a lovely turn and cross from the right wing. Just like on the first goal, a Samp player was left completely unmarked in the area. This time it was Di Stefano who volleyed in his first goal of the season. A minute later, Costanzo turned the ball over with a poor pass intended for Gioielli. Malagrida intercepted the ball and two passes later, it was in the back of the goal. Pauletti scored that goal. Finally, in the 89th minute, Giannini made an errant pass straight to Simone Pozzato. He played a cheeky chip pass to Simone Leonardi in the area and Leonardi beat Pinto at the near post. Pinto probably should have done better there, but down 5-1 already, I guess it doesn't really matter. Credit to Sampdoria though, even if this match ended 10 minutes earlier when the score was still 2-1, they would have fully deserved the victory. They're a very organized team, they maintained their shape really well so when they got the ball they were able to pass it around with ease. They were quite content to play the ball back to their center backs to restart the build up. In fact, it almost seemed like they were instructed to do that because no matter where they won the ball, they always seemed to pass it back first. As a result of that structure, Napoli spent a lot of time defending, so when we did get the ball, we often just launched it forward on the counterattack, and that Sampdoria backline was always waiting there for us. When we had the ball in the attack, we always seemed to be outnumbered. So the Azzurini will have to learn from this game and remember what can happen if you stop playing. Hopefully, they'll be motivated by the scoreline to do better rather than being demoralized by it. A win and a loss from two matches is not a bad start to the season at all, but don't look now, we have Juventus up next. That match is on Saturday. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll review our third Femminile match of the season.
ai viaggi rimandati, ai tuoi colpi di testa, all'amore di una notte, nel bel mezzo di una festa, e dimmi se ci credi che un giorno riusciremo a ritornare liberi, ma liberi davvero. Fino a qui tutto bene, fino a qui tutto bene, ci abbiamo fatta di strada, fino a qui tutto bene, fino a qui tutto bene, fino a qui tutto bene. Next, let's review our third femminile match of the season, which was played against Fiorentina on Sunday. Fiorentina came into this match having lost their first two games of the season, but they were against two very good teams in Sassuolo and Juventus. Sassuolo had their best season ever last year, finishing in third place. And of course, Juve ran the table last season. They had a perfect record of 22 wins, no draws and no losses, en route to their fourth consecutive championship. But Fiorentina are no slouches, in fact they are the model of consistency, they are a perennial top 5 team, which they've managed to maintain despite the rise of Juve, Milan, Roma, Sassuolo and apparently this season, Inter. Of course we also played against two very strong teams to start the season, first against Inter and then against Roma. So this was a match between two clubs who were eager to pick up their first points of the season. Before the match, Alessandro Pistolesi said, We will need a lot of Katsima because that was partly lacking in the first two games. I asked my team for a competitive nastiness and determination, qualities that must distinguish a team like ours that need points, just like Fiorentina do. Unfortunately, he was without a few players. Emma Severini, Jimena Blanco, Maria Awona, and Sara Tui were all out for this match, but we did have Depichazzi Nicolau back in the starting 11. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Fiorentina lined up in a 4-3-1-2 with Katia Schroffenegger in goal, Alice Tortelli and Daria Kravetz played at centre-back, Martina Zanoli started at left-back and Valerie Villucci started at right-back, Stephanie Breitner started in the centre of the midfield with Claudia Neto to her left and ex-Napoli player Sara Houchet to her right, finally Sara Baldi played as the trequartista in behind Karen Lundin and Daniela Sabatino. For Napoli, Pistolesi switched from a 4-3-3 to a 3-4-2-1 with Yolanda Aguirre in goal. As I suspected would happen after her performance off the bench against Roma, Paola Di Marino found herself in the starting 11. She played in the center of the back three, with Sedia Bramson to her left and Emily Garnier to her right. Eleonora Goldoni moved into the center of the midfield to start over Sara Gonzalez. She played alongside Sofia Colombo. Ilaria Capitanelli played over Melanie Kunrath as the left wing back and Francesca Imprezzabile played slightly higher up the pitch as the right wing back. Ariana Acuti and Kaya Ertzin both dropped a little to play as the two trequartisti. Finally, Chatsi Nicolao also earned herself a start after a strong performance off the bench. She played as the lone striker. So with that change in formation, Evi Popadinova was relegated to the bench. So those were the starting lineups, next let's get to the match. Unfortunately, I did not have access to the full match, so I'm relying on the highlights and match notes for this review, but early on, it seemed like it was going to be another long day. In the opening 8 minutes of the match, Sabatino had two excellent scoring opportunities. First, Lundin played the ball out wide to Baldi, who crossed the ball towards the near post. 
Sabatino managed to flick the ball on target, but Aguida got just enough of the ball to keep it out. The ball bounced along the goal line before Aguida collected it. Then Neto played Sabatino through and she had only the keeper to beat, but her shot hit the upright and stayed out. Fiorentina may have been unlucky, but at the same time, I thought Sabatino was clearly in an offside position, so perhaps the football gods rectified the situation there. Fiorentina had their third big chance about midway through the half, and it seemed it was the same players causing us problems. Baldi chipped to Lundin at the edge of the area. She flicked the ball to Neto, who immediately laid it off to Kravets, but her shot was straight into the arms of Aguida. Had Kravets looked up, she would have seen Sabatino wide open in front of the goal, but I thought Sabatino was again in an offside position, so she may have made the right decision to shoot there. Napoli responded well though. Depi dropped deep to collect the ball before playing a gorgeous chip over the top for Akuti, but her shot deflected over the bar. Then Goldoni and Depi combined to free Ertsen on the right side of the goal, but just like at the other end, her shot hit the upright and stayed out. Finally, Goldoni did really well to dispossess Breitner in the middle of the park, but her long-range effort finished just over the bar. So the first half had two distinct phases, one where Fiorentina created chances and one where we did, but on the whole, it was a fairly balanced half. At the break, Fiorentina coach Patrizia Panico switched to a 4-2-3-1 and made a couple of changes to bolster the Fiorentina attack. One of those changes was to replace Sara Baldi with ex-Napoli player Federica Caffarata. It was bittersweet to see Caffarata leave. She was one of my favorite players last season and she played a huge role in keeping us up. However, Fiorentina was a step up for her so it is good to see her progress. And as we expected, she was very lively for the 45 minutes that she played. The second half wasn't quite as eventful as the first half. There were plenty of half chances for either side, but no clear-cut goal-scoring opportunities like we saw in the first half, at least not until the 84th minute. Garnier chased down and dispossessed Sabatino before playing a gorgeous long ball over the top to Akuti. Akuti did well to block Villucci's attempted clearance, control the ball, and fire into the back of the goal. Schroffenegger got a hand on the ball, but it wasn't strong enough to keep it out. The drama didn't end there though, only 3 minutes after the goal Fiorentina were awarded a penalty kick after substitute Martina Piamonte played the ball into the hand of Colombo in the area. Piamonte took the penalty herself and fired it straight into the upright so Napoli just barely hung on for the 1-0 win, which was our first win of the season. Akuti was asked about the goal after the match, she said an indescribable emotion, they told me that scoring in Napoli has a special flavor and it in fact was just like that, we are a very young team with many new elements, we are getting to know each other and we are putting into practice the advice of the coach, we understood that we could beat La Viola and in the second half we put a little more than them, I dedicate the goal to Depi hoping that her injury is not serious. Just to touch on that, Depi was forced to leave the match in the 56th minute with a knee injury which was a scary sight considering she missed a lot of last season with a knee injury. Fortunately, tests confirmed that she did not do any damage to the meniscus or the ligaments. The official diagnosis is a sprained knee which she is already doing physiotherapy on. Pistolesi also spoke after the match. He said, I saw my team again. We had many absences and we made a virtue out of necessity thanks to the fact that the girls understood what it took to try to manage a match like this. We gave everything we had and this allowed us to go beyond the contingencies of the moment. Now we have to continue like this, playing in Verona with a knife between our teeth. Finally, President Lalo Carlino commented as well. He said, by playing like this, we can get great satisfaction. I really like the fact that the girls played like they were from Napoli and this is with grit and determination. These are the weapons that we must unleash on every field to reach our goal. 
That will do for part two. In part three, we'll return to the men's game and preview our match against Leicester City. Close the pod with a preview of our match against Leicester City on Thursday. I'll be honest with you, I know very little outside of football in Italy. Fortunately, through this platform, I've come to meet a lot of very knowledgeable fans, so I reached out to my friend Antonio Mango for some help. You might remember Antonio from one of our earlier episodes of the Forza Napoli Worldwide series, which of course is available on all your usual podcast platforms. If you don't already follow Antonio, you can find him on Twitter at Antonio Mango 4. Antonio is just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to European football and he was gracious enough to give me some information on Leicester City so pretty much everything you hear in this preview about Leicester City is from Antonio. What immediately struck me when I was speaking to Antonio about Leicester City is just how similar they are to Napoli. In 2008 they were relegated to League One which is the third division of English football but they won the league to get back to the championship and in 2014 they earned promotion back to the Premier League after a 10-year absence. Of course, when we went bankrupt in 2004 and when De Laurentiis bought the club, we were placed in Serie C1, which was also the third division, except in Italian football. We nearly earned promotion in our first season but lost to Avellino in the playoff. However, we were promoted to Serie B the following season, and then the season after that, we were promoted to Serie A. I'd say that since returning to the top flight, we've probably been more consistently near the top, But of course we haven't won the league, whereas Leicester City famously won the Premier League in 2015-16 under Claudio Ranieri. So we have two relatively small clubs here that have been competing with the big boys for a good while. Both clubs have excellent coaches, of course Luciano Spalletti is in charge at Napoli. His counterpart will be Brandon Rodgers. Rodgers is one of the best coaches in Europe and according to Antonio, he rarely gets in-game management wrong. I think we can safely say that about Spalletti as well, at least for the first three Serie A matches of the season. Rodgers has an interesting story. He retired from football at the age of 20 because of an injury. He earned his coaching stripes at all levels and worked under Jose Mourinho in 2004. And that's why he's such a forward-thinking coach and why he's so experienced despite being relatively young, which Spalletti himself acknowledged in his pre-match conference. We'll get to the lineups in a moment, but both of these sides are comprised of players who weren't necessarily household names, but became household names at their respective clubs. Both clubs have a great togetherness among the players. In Leicester's case, there's been an air of a coming together around the club since the tragic passing of their owner in 2018. The fans, players, and staff at the club have built something special together, and that shows every time they take the pitch. In fact, it's that chemistry on the pitch that sets them apart. 
Speaking of the fans, both of these clubs have passionate fan bases, so it was great to hear that away fans would be allowed at the King Power Stadium and hopefully Leicester City fans will be allowed to attend the Maradona for the return leg. Finally, both teams narrowly missed out on Champions League qualification last season. Just like we needed to beat Hellas Verona to finish in the top four, Leicester needed to beat Tottenham on the final match day last season to finish in the top four as well. Unfortunately, they lost that match 4-2, which is why Chelsea finished in fourth even though they lost that round to Aston Villa. No team in the Premier League was in the top four as long as Leicester City was last season, and yet they somehow still finished outside of it. So you can see why there is a mutual respect between these two clubs. They have so much in common. If you haven't seen the video that Leicester City posted when they found out they drew Napoli in their group, you have to check it out on the club's official Twitter page. The pundits they had on their channel were knowledgeable. They talked about the quality of our squad with Koulibaly, Insigne, Osman. They were respectful. They didn't have that arrogance, for lack of a better term, that we often see from select English pundits. What I enjoyed most, though, was the excitement of drawing Napoli. Even though they considered us to be one of the favorites to win the tournament, they weren't upset about drawing us, they were excited about the challenge, and they were excited about the opportunity to welcome us in England and for them to visit us in Napoli. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Leicester usually play in a 4-2-3-1 with Kasper Schmeichel in goal. Kalar Solonchu and Yannick Vestergaard will likely start at centre-back. I'm a little unsure who will start at fullback. In Leicester's first three games, it was Luke Thomas on the left and Ricardo Pereira on the right. But against City, they played Ryan Bertrand on the left and Timothy Castagna on the right. Wilfried Ndidi and Yuri Thielmans have started every match in the double pivot. The front four is very difficult to predict as well. Rodgers has an array of talented midfielders to choose from. Jamie Madison, Bubakari Sumare, Harvey Barnes, Mark Albrighton, and Ayose Perez are all good enough to make a difference. Finally, Jamie Vardy should start up top, but if he doesn't, Patson Daka and Kileki Hinacho are excellent options. Daka is a new recruit from Salzburg where he scored 68 goals in 125 games. He has electric pace and a very high work rate. Meanwhile, Hinacho has scored 17 goals in his last 29 appearances for club and country, so they're certainly not lacking for goals. For Napoli, Spalletti will play in either a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3. It doesn't really matter what they show on paper. It's kind of the same thing. In his pre-match conference, Spalletti said it's still early in the season, so he won't need to make four or five changes, which suggests we'll see a similar squad to the one we saw against Juventus. There were some doubts about whether David Ospina, Amir Rachmani, and Victor Osman would be able to play in this match, but UEFA confirmed earlier in the week that they would be granted exemptions to play. That means David Ospina will start in goal. Surprisingly, his backups are Primavera keepers Huberi Dasiak and Valerio Bofelli. Bofelli is now a backup to Odasiak with the Primavera, but last season he was our U17 keeper. Based on Spalletti's comments, I'm only expecting one change, maybe two to the back line. Mario Rui is not in the squad list, so the knock he picked up against Juve must have been worse than I initially thought. I suspect Kevin Malqui will start in his place. The other change I think we could see is Amir Rachmani starting over Costas Manolas. Giovanni Di Lorenzo and Kaladu Koulibaly will complete the back line. In the midfield, I think we'll see the exact same double pivot of Andre Frank Anguissa and Fabian Ruiz. They worked really well together against Juve, and Anguissa is familiar with Leicester from his time at Fulham. Lorenzo Insigne appears to be a game-time decision. Spalletti said he completed the full training on Wednesday, but they'll have to wait to see how he feels on Thursday. 
If it were up to me, I wouldn't take any chances. I'd start Chucky Lozano on the left wing and Matteo Politano on the right wing. After seeing how Zielinski played off the bench against Juve, I think he will start in the number 10. And finally, we should see Victor Osman start at striker. So those are my predicted lineups. Let's move on now to Antonio's three keys to the match. The first key to the match is we need to control the midfield. Everything Leicester City does stems from their midfield. So if you can take their midfield out of the game, that significantly improves our chances to get a positive result. If we are successful at controlling the midfield, don't be surprised to see Rodgers change to a 4-1-4-1 formation. If Leicester does that, I think a good response would be to replace Zielinski with Elmas, especially if we happen to have the lead. I doubt Zielinski can play the full 90 having just returned from injury, and Elmas can give you the legs and the intensity to cope with that additional attacking midfielder. The second key to the match is we need to beat the press. Leicester like to press high and can be very dangerous when they do so, so it will be very important for us to beat that press. That's an area where I think it would have helped to have Stanislav Lobotka because he's very good on the ball. I'm not quite sure how well Angisa can play out of the press. Even though he's skilled, I doubt he has the footwork that Lobotka has and he definitely does not have that low center of gravity. On the other hand, Angisa is bigger and stronger and he can probably break the press just by protecting the ball. He's also familiar with the pace and intensity of the English game, which is something he spoke about in his pre-match conference. Finally, the third key to the match is to look to play Osiman behind that backline. Osiman needs to run the channels and put that backline in situations that they don't want to be in. In particular, Osiman should target Soyonchu. Soyonchu is a good player, but he hasn't found his feet yet this season. With injuries to Johnny Evans and Wesley Fofana, Soyonchu has yet to strike a partnership with new signing Yannick Vestergaard. Prior to the Man City match, Soyuncu was partnered with Daniel Amardi, so he's only played once with Vestergaard. And since his sending off in World Cup qualification against the Netherlands, Soyuncu hasn't looked confident at all, so Osimhen should run him up a little. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 2-1 Leicester victory. I'll give the Leicester goals to Jamie Vardy and Harvey Barnes, and I'll give the Napoli goal to Victor Osimhen. I think this match will be decided in the midfield and Leicester simply have fresher legs there. We're short on players and we're short on rest. We'll also be lacking pace with Fabian and Angisa in the double pivot, which makes me very concerned about that high press. I think we're also at risk of getting caught on the counterattack, which is very much a part of Leicester's game. They play very direct no matter where they recover the ball from, they look to push forward. I must say though, after seeing Angisa play against Juve, I feel much more comfortable about defending the counterattack. Finally, we'll be away from home. I think that home crowd will give Leicester a distinct advantage, just like our home crowd gave us a distinct advantage against Juventus. So that will do for this preview. I hope you enjoyed the match. That will also do it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod. I have plenty more content coming this week, so I apologize in advance if I'm filling up your storage, but it's a very busy part of the season. I'm hoping to have my round three review pod out by Friday, and then at some point I should have an episode to review the Leicester match and to preview our next Serie A match, which is against Udinese. So you should be hearing from me very soon, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Sempre.
de tu sayado Lucky? 